Hello, this is Tracy Sue, and you are listening to What Would Tracy Sue Do? Where we ask better questions about things that matter. Whew, okay. The world has gone mad. This is unprecedented. And I feel like I moved to this strange land, oh, three and a half years ago, maybe. And I want to share with you the things that I've learned along the way and um, the new perceptions that I have of the world and the way that we're doing things. And hopefully that will both bring you some peace, um, open your eyes to some new realities, and just help you along your way with your, whatever you're feeling. Um, when I say that I moved here three to four years ago, I had this, this sense that things were not right, that the way we are doing things are, um, they're not in alignment with today. They're not in alignment with today in terms of how we are operating in the world, how our economics are working, who is running the show, the messages are being delivered. And I had this moment where I just, I just had this sense that this is not working. And the question that just continued to repeat itself over and over and over and over and over for years, friends, for years, is what is the point of this? You can go back and listen to some of my podcasts at the beginning where I talk about malaise. And I talked to some other friends who also were experiencing malaise. And what is the point of this is a pretty interesting question, because it, it, goes to what is the point of this um, country? What is the point of uh, making money? What is the point of living your purpose? What is the point of uh, being alive? Right? What is the point of being on this earth? Now, I am not the first person to ask this question. We have tomes of um, literature where people were really focused on this uh, through philosophy and religious tradition and um, self-help, right? Like, this is not a new question. I did not come up with this question. But it profoundly hit me, uh, and I. it didn't happen because I had failed. It happened because I had succeeded, and I didn't get what I wanted. And we call this a midlife crisis sometimes, or we call this menopause, or we call this um, a breakdown, uh, a nervous breakdown, where we just come to this place where it's, you've got the house, you've got the two kids, you've got the money, you've got the job, you've got the white picket fence, whatever it is that you've been seeking in your life. And then you look around and you go, wait, what is the point of this? Why did I want this? Um, why isn't this working anymore? And 
it's interesting because, you know, it's, it's not so much a depression. Um, certainly this can lead to depression, but it's a shift. Like it's a shift in your consciousness and it will no longer wait. It must be addressed. And I think this happens, um, at various points in our lives where it's time to reevaluate, it's time to reevaluate how we're living, who we're doing life with, what we believe, um, how we take care of ourselves, how we take care of others, what our goals are, what our intentions are. So I've been centering my life around intentions um, since 9-11. Well, first, there was a massive breakdown as my entire life crumbled um, right in front of my face. It just exploded. When I saw those towers, uh, it just exploded. And it was it was trauma. And trauma is often where you are so desperate to um, get relief from pain and anxiety that you are on your knees begging, <laughs> begging for help. Um, and that started me on a path. It started me on a spiritual path. Um, it started me on a, a journey where I became very aware of myself, my motivation, or divine, or universe, however you want to describe that. What is the point of being alive, right? We're in this right now. And some things definitely strike me that are, I feel like I've felt this coming for a long time. And what's interesting in myself is there's there's like a relief, right? There's a, there's a relief because now I know what it is that I was so anxious about. Now I know what it is that, um, was going to happen. And of course I don't know everything, but along the way I've developed some skills to find my way to peace. And I've also, um, you know, discovered some truths that, uh, have evolved in the way that we're running our economy, in the way that we're running our country, in the way that we're running the world. I've just had this very, like, enlightenment, if you will, about the fact that we're global, that our tribal ideas of country and state are not as useful as they once were because our economy and we can see this now, right? We like this virus really brings to mind that this is global, that to simply side with what we're told is American is not going to work anymore because we can see, understand, interact, witness participate in the effects of what we do on the entire planet, on the entire globe, right? So we're talking about global resources when we talk about our resource issue. We're not talking about the United States resources. We're talking about global resources. We're talking about our shared atmosphere, our shared economy, our shared political 
um, realities, right? So this is new. This is very new. The internet has provided new information. And as we can import anything we want from anywhere in the world with a click of the button, we can see where our belongings come from, where our food comes from. And that brings with it some new questions about what we're doing and our effect on other people. So um, I hope that we can bring that to mind, right? I hope that uh, we can... I hope that we can see that what we're talking about when we're talking about how we run our political system is an it's a global issue, right? The president of the United States, our elected officials, they do not simply determine um, the economics of the United States. They determine the economics of the world. And because we have so much power, that puts responsibility in our hands for how that goes. We can no longer be isolationists and say, well, we're just worried about ourselves because we can't, because we're the top consumer on the planet. Our economics determine the economics of every other living person on this planet, which brings us to much more vast questions about how we're living, what we're consuming, what we're seeing as success, um, how we are applying our own values. So there are a few things that I have really spent a great deal of time, months, years, pondering. And I would like to um, rephrase some things. I think that's where I want to start. I would like to rephrase some things. So every religious tradition and culture on the planet has said something similar to um, the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, karma, what you put out there comes back to you. Um, first, do no harm is the first principle in uh, how to safely uh, and conscientiously uh, practice medicine. Okay. I do not like this. I don't like this because it is, um, repeated so often and so often in practice, it is misapplied based on false information. So when we are looking at the world through the lens that people looked through the lens that people looked through several thousand years ago, there are some fundamental principles in there, but what it means in practice to do unto others is vastly different today than it was then because their impact was local, right? So if you lived in a tribe and you did not have any information at all about what was going on on the other side of the planet, you had very little impact on what was going on on the other side of the planet, but now there are direct ties to impact. So you can no longer have the lens that was had several thousand years ago. Several thousand years ago, 
when we were applying golden rules, uh, do unto others, love your neighbor as yourself, love one another, karma, what you put out there comes back to you. When we were applying that, we did not have the scientific method. We did not understand the physical laws that govern the earth, the atmosphere, the way the planets move. So we cannot, we can look to those pieces of wisdom as core values, but we cannot look through the lens of that reality. If we are operating through the lens of that reality, we will be creating massacre and genocide and horrendous, horrendous, terrible, horrible things to other people. And we can no longer ignore that because we each individually have access to all the information, all of it. We have access to what is happening in the Middle East. We have access to what is happening in South America. We have access to the information about how our need to have produce in off seasons is affecting the village where we are buying that produce, right? We have so much information that it's very difficult to process through lenses of groups of people who didn't have very much information at all. So what I realized in my, um, well, my own self stay at home quarantine, really, where I had to sit down with myself and reevaluate, um, based on today's reality, what exactly is the truth and what, how does this really manifest? And what am, what are, what am I, what is the point of this, right? What is the point of this? So I have found some things that I have found more useful, more helpful when I am focusing on these questions. Now, they're the same questions people have been asking forever, but because they're new phrases or new words and they have not been used over and over and over for various political and economic reasons to manipulate me, they carry more impact as a litmus test to hone in on what my true values are and the practical application of those. So in place of the golden rule phrasing, right? Do unto others, love thy neighbor as thyself. The golden rule phrasing in place of that, what I find more helpful is the value. What I want for myself, I want for everyone. What I want for myself, I want for everyone. Now I, um, did not come up with this phrase. I cannot remember where I read it, but it has really helped me. Uh, what I want for myself, I want for everyone. Because I now have information about how my purchases, how my energy use, how our political system truly does impact other people 
that increases the responsibility for me as a human being in my actions in the world. I cannot pretend that the people several thousand years ago were having the same experience regarding their actions and how this is applied is very manipulated, right? So we have been being manipulated um, by misapplication and repeated messaging from media and marketing and advertising and news and false news and economic leaders and corporatists. Everybody has an agenda. And so these phrases, including religion, religion has an agenda. It has a very clear agenda and its impact on the globe is quite frankly, quite irresponsible considering the information we have access to do today regarding science, <laughs> regarding economics, regarding trade, regarding um, welfare of others. We have access to the information. So we cannot look to an organization of any type and simply follow what they tell us to do and also be in alignment with our values, the core values, because they have an agenda. The messaging is manipulated. So what I want for myself, I want for everyone. Now we are inundated right now with so much messaging. Who are we going to bail out? Right? In our political system, in our economic system, who are we going to bail out? Are we going to bail out these mega monopolies that are global and just apply the word American to them uh, when it suits us, when, when we want to bail them out, but they don't have to pay taxes because they're not truly based in America. Like what exactly are we going to do there? And what is that going to benefit? So if you trace the, follow the dollar, right? Always follow the dollar, follow the money, follow the whatever, currency that is. And who is really benefiting from this, right? Is it people? Because we are a nation of people who have chosen to govern ourselves for the people by the people, right? So does this benefit an organization? An organization is not the people, and who is controlling that? Who benefits from that, right? So when you're determining what you're going to buy at the grocery store, how much you're going to leave on the shelf for other people, how you're going to vote, what kind of package, stimulus package, uh, you're going to be in favor of, a more helpful question is, or a more helpful value statement is, what I want for myself, I want for everyone. What I want for myself, I want for everyone. Because at this point, we have been so often manipulated and so often abused with the same phrasing over and over and over that they no longer carry an authentic vibration of truth. They're no longer good 
words to judge our choices and behavior and values by. What I want for myself, I want for everyone. What I want for myself, I want for everyone. And then make a list of what those things are. I want health care. I want shelter. I want a little spending money. I want safe schools. I want safe neighborhoods. I want access to education for my children. I want access to higher education for my children without bankrupting them before they even start their adult lives. I want access to a fair way to make a living that does not operate on a very old system that no longer applies to the information age, right? A nine to five is dead. (laughs) It's so dead. We're never going back to that. The agrarian culture is dead. We're never going back to that. We live in an information age. I want that to work economically for all of the human beings who are doing that. We live in a global economy. It matters to me how laborers who are manufacturing goods across the world, around the world are treated because what I want for myself, I want for everyone. I want choices. I want to use plant medicine and self-medicine, plant medicine that I choose to use by myself. I want that to be legal and accessible, right? So we've been allowing big pharma to control what kind of medications or herbs or plant medicines we use for what reason? For economic gain for the big pharma, basically the raping of human beings with extortion prices. What I want for myself, I want for everyone. That one helps me. That one helps me a lot. Um, Do I want the choice to do self-care in the way that I feel is appropriate? Do I want for myself and my children to have fair equity? Fair equity between genders? So if you ask this question and you really sit down with what you want, right? What do you personally want? What freedoms do you personally want to choose? Now, here's the definition of freedom, okay? Freedom is not your right to own as many weapons as you want so you can arm yourself like a country, right? That's not the definition of freedom. The definition of freedom is, in my analysis, in my sitting with myself and deciding what I think is fair, what my value is, You can do anything you want as long as it doesn't harm other living people. You can do anything you want as long as it doesn't harm other living people. When it begins to harm other people, then it becomes an issue. When it begins to harm other people, it becomes an issue. 
And then you have to look at the question again, what I want for myself, I want for everyone. What I want for my children, I want for everyone. Okay, now we're going to come to the word love. This word has been so abused and used that I've come to have a little bit of contempt for it. We use it so inappropriately that I do not think that it is truly beneficial to describe much of anything. Some cultures have many, many, many different words for the word love. I think they're probably more on target. But I have been loved in some really gross and abusive and manipulative ways. And you have too. This word has defined judgment, control, manipulation, emotional blackmail, belonging, criticism, and the high that you get when you're in a new relationship and you're flooded with oxytocin, right? That is not indicative of who will be a good partner for you. The word love has kept, oh my gosh, so many people in terribly abusive and violent relationships. The word love has been used to manipulate members of certain faiths, all faiths, of uh, the populace, right? The word love more often refers to some kind of judgment or control. I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to control your behavior. And then I'm going to say, it's because I love you. God told me to. No. No. I'm going to want something different for you than I want for myself because God said so. No. No. There is no way that any kind of bigotry can be blamed on God. No way, absolutely zero way that any kind of bigotry, which is bias against someone who is different from you, biased against whatever any organization says is right or wrong. Okay. That is not love. That is control and it is judgment and it is manipulation. Because what I want for myself, I want for everyone, and it does not stand up to that litmus test. I'm in love with you does not describe a helpful, functional, beneficial relationship between partners. is so often used to actually mean I'm high. I'm getting high from you. I'm getting high from this experience. I'm love drunk. I love you does not describe pain that results from control, manipulation, and judgment. 
because this word has been so manipulated and so abused by so many people, by our marketing, our advertising, our media, our religions, our cultures, it has just been completely eliminated in its true value as a value, right? It has been misused that so much and so often and for so many of the wrong reasons that it's not even a helpful word because it's a trigger word. It's a trigger word. So triggers are things that bring up feelings in you that do not match with that word, right? So when I hear the word love from someone, it triggers something in me because I've been loved by some pretty fucked up folks who wanted to do some pretty fucked up things to me. And then they slap the word love on it. And I think, God, I don't want anything to do with this, whatever this is. I enjoy other words that are more descriptive, that are more true to what you truly are experiencing or what is truly happening to you, right? So it often strikes me that people, oh, well, I love them. But really, the other person isn't feeling loved, right? Now, we are not responsible for what other people are feeling. But when people are giving us information that says, you are making me feel controlled, you're making me feel uh, judged, you're making me feel like a piece of shit, like, and we have that information, the kind thing The kind thing is to take that information in and ask yourself, again, go back to the phrase, what I want for myself, I want for everyone. Is this what I want for myself? Now, we have some very core things, very core things that all human beings, no matter where they are in the world, what culture they live in, um... They're human needs, right? They're, they're just human needs. Animals even need this, right? Like these are things that every human needs. So these are belonging and connection, right? Belonging and connection. If you are withholding belonging and connection from another human being, It is cruelty. Think about the harshest, most torturous thing that we do to the worst criminals. We isolate them. We withhold belonging and connection of all kinds. It is the biggest cruelty we can think of. It's the most punitive thing that we can think of. So if you are withholding belonging or judging to the point where the other person is begging for mercy or shutting them out of your group or your 
um, yeah, your group, your political party, your religion, your uh, whatever, right? It is a form of punishment. Now, this does not mean there should not be boundaries. This does not mean there should not be boundaries. I've always thought the phrase, love your neighbor as thyself, only applied to men. Because women have such a, like, we have, like, this weird self-sacrificing, self-loathing experience in terms of, like, body image and, you know, our desire to be treated equally under the law or in the economic system, right? Like this as carers, right? Like this is another thing that comes forward with this virus is that we have devalued carers, mothers, um, you know, people who care for the elderly, which typically in a family, a woman steps back from any kind of professional uh, situation that she might have worked hard for with her education. And, you know, before she had a family, she steps back and then we immediately devalue her to the point where she cannot survive. So we have placed such a low value on carers And then we have called that fair because they didn't participate in the workplace. The same thing with aging adults, right? The daughter steps forward to care. And not all cultures on the planet do this, by the way, right? Not all cultures on the planet eliminate the economic or cultural or social value of carers. Most first world countries have found a balance where a mother can take time off work without being financially penalized. Like, does this line up with your core value? Is that love? Right. So if you have family values, for instance, I love this phrase. Oh, my God. If you have family values and you are voting against uh, the Family Leave Act. Right. If you're voting against any sustenance. If you're voting against any sustenance provided for carers of the family. You do not have family values. If you are uh, pro-life and you disagree with abortion, to be in alignment with that value, you cannot vote against the things we have information about, right? We know why women choose this because they tell us exactly why. If you become a mother, you will earn 30% less. You increase your likelihood of poverty. Our healthcare system is such that the maternal health rate is pathetic. It's, I mean, our healthcare system is so detrimental to women in general. We now have information that we did not have 46 years ago. 
So to pretend that you actually care about this issue and then vote against every initiative that actually can, as a fact, prevent more abortions goes against your value. It is not lined up with the reality of today. It does not line up with the reality of today to pretend that women don't get raped, to pretend that there are not health risks that could kill a woman for having a child, to pretend that orphans are going to all have great homes, to pretend that there are not serious economic penalties for women who proceed with the pregnancy. To pretend that women do not achieve more education, more economic independence if they plan their pregnancies, right? To look at the face of the facts that are applied today with current science, current information. To pretend that women don't have abortions most often when they already have children and they know the penalty they will pay and pressure from their partners. These are the two main causes. So if you're claiming to have family values and you're voting against all the ways that would actually allow a woman to care for a family appropriately, that's not in alignment with your true value. Another thing that um, is a litmus test for me, right? It's a test that I can hold up. Okay, here is um, a centering question that will help me determine what I truly care about and what I truly believe um, is the war in heaven, right? So in the Bible, there's this massive war in heaven and uh, God's two favorite angels, um, Lucifer and... Uh, Jesus, right? They, um, or was it Michael? No, it was Jesus, right? They're having this disagreement about how humanity should be run. Okay. And Lucifer, Satan, uh, says, I think we should make everybody do, um, what they should do because it will cause more peace and love and light in their life and they won't be in chronic pain. Right. And then Jesus says, no, I think they should be able to choose. They should be able to choose. So, I mean, when I'm looking at that, I'm saying, okay, well, then I need to be pro-choice, right? I need to let other people govern their bodies. I need to let other people govern their choices. And then if I'm going to treat them as myself, I don't want to penalize them for going through with what I think is right. What I want for myself, I want for everyone. I want the choice to do with my body what I want to do with my body. I do not want to be uh, penalized for going through with a pregnancy. I do not want anyone to take power who could force me to have an abortion. And to pretend that's not a reality is to deny truth. It's to deny all facts that's already happening on the planet. 
So I have to re-look at that and I have to re-decide. See, this right now is a period of re-choosing. Re-choosing how we're going to allot resources. Re-choosing how we are going to um, allot power. Re-choosing how we're going to uh, live. Re-choosing what our values are. Re-choosing the language we apply to those values. Re-choosing the barrier for that. Re-choosing who we'll spend our time with. Re-choosing how we will make money and how we will spend it. Re-choosing based on our true impact to other people and whether that really truly does align with our own values. Rechoosing how we treat ourselves, rechoosing what we do with our time, rechoosing what goal we're chasing. This is a period where we will rechoose everything. We will rechoose everything. Sitting with this is not easy. Sitting with your basically requirement to rechoose because right now the world is reshuffled. It is reshuffling, right? And we, because we live in a democracy, will have a an impact. I definitely believe we should have more of an impact on how the global economy is run, on how global distribution of resources are run, of what kind of penalties will be applied to people who lose their jobs through no fault of their own. And even if it is their fault, I mean, who's to say what is someone's fault or not? We can choose whether or not we view things like mental or emotional or spiritual illness as a crime that should be punished or as a health issue that should be supported through healing. Like that is a choice that we get to make. This is a period of re-choosing. You can look at the wisdom that has been accumulated over time in answer to the question, what is the point of this? But you must look at it based on the realities of today, based on what we know from science what we know from psychology and sociology regarding our motivations and the results of our beliefs and information based on what we know about our shortage of water. That's very real friends, global water. This is something that cannot be manufactured. The results of land Land use, disturbing land releases carbon into the air and it kills soil. If soil is dead, 
it cannot retain water, it cannot grow things, the microbiome dies, and it's just dirt. Dirt is not soil. We have to choose how we're going to manage our food systems, our water distribution, our wealth. Because here's the thing that's so, it's like I can't even comprehend what we're thinking when we have so much wealth chasing hand, changing hands, and we're still starving. So much wealth is chasing hands that we have the ability to give everyone shelter, to give everyone food, to give everyone basic safety. It's not that the resources don't exist. Natural resources are being consumed and there has been a redistribution of wealth. But that has not been to the people, right? The wealth that once belonged to the middle class, to people who work hard, and do the right thing has gone to corporatism, right? So this is like mega corporations that own monopolies on food and water and land and money and resources. Very few people are benefiting from that. So yes, there has been a redistribution of wealth away from people away from people who commit their labor and their love and their faith and their light to the movement of the world. I don't want wealth to be distributed that way. So when we're looking at these big giant corporate monopoly bailouts, I know for a fact as a business reporter for the last 25 years, and as someone who has, my profession has been deeply impacted by our last bailout, our last two bailouts, 9-11 and the housing crisis in 2008, that that wealth is not going to end up in employee hands. It's not. We just did a massive farm bailout and we paid mega food companies millions of dollars. And that is not going to end up in farmer hands. I promise you it's not. I have interviewed dozens and dozens of farmers. The way that we have our farming systems set up, that money is not ending up in farmer hands. They are getting poorer and poorer as days goes on and as they mortgage themselves up to their eyeballs. And then as, oh, how convenient that Oxycontin has flooded into rural farm communities. These are not coincidences. And we have enough facts now. See, that's the thing. Progress is when we make, when we re-choose based on facts, based on information. We are looking at a country right now, a world, a globe that doesn't trust its leader because he got there in a sketchy way. We know that he got there in a sketch way. His interests are not aligned with Christians. He's just mouthing words. We don't trust him. 
we don't trust the news. We can look at today and we can say, oh my gosh, if we don't trust our leaders, we face serious health and economic crisis. There's an impact to be so divided and for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons. Because if they're just mouthing the words and the words are what you want to hear, but all the facts say their words are meaningless in practice, or even if they're telling the truth, but you can't trust them, that's dangerous for everyone on the globe. It is dangerous. We know that it's dangerous. To have a health system that is based only on profit, these companies racing for a vaccine, I'm looking around and I'm going, I don't want to take that. Oxycontin is killing millions of people and it was raced through the FDA by a mega corporation. The same mega corporation that opposes the use of cannabis for health. The same corporation that is coming up with the quote-unquote cure for Oxycontin or opiate addiction. We have other plant medicines that are under attack. No, you can't use that. Why? Well, follow the money. Here's why. Because this big giant corporation doesn't benefit if you use that plant medicine. Or you're not smart enough to control that. So let's let uh, the FDA and the doctor control that. And oopsie, we just made a big, huge opioid crisis in America by handing that out and pushing it on to people. Your party has been hijacked (laughs) by really bad people doing really bad things. And at one point in time, we didn't have enough information to really understand these bigger issues, these bigger global players. But we don't have that excuse anymore because information is out there and we get to completely 100% choose whether we're getting our information from extreme hawkers clickbait things that are meant to inflame us in anger and panic. And it's hard to decipher. Truly it is. And none of it will matter if you're still listening to the people you were listening to 20 years ago. Because our economics have changed so drastically. And when I say economics, I mean the way goods are moved, the way dollars are spent, the way dollars are earned, the way we've automated, the way we've moved online, the way we've moved from an employee nine to five economy to an information economy and this self-employed 1099 
the way we've moved from a system that used to work with a nine to five and our uh, needs such as health care and um, retirement and all of that moved from a nine to five um, way of working and living to a now you're on your own the way of being in an office to no longer needing that, right? We are going to learn. There is no way to deny that people can work from home now. And that has changed so dramatically. It's going to change the way money moves, right? So economics is not about numbers. It's about social agreements. It's about cultural agreements about how goods resources, money, time, labor, benefits. It's about how we move those things globally, right? At one point, you could actually look at the United States of America and say, well, this is a country and this is what we can be concerned about. But we can't do that, right? We have global wars. We have global awareness. We have information, right? The information revolution has changed everything. And if your values or your litmus test, right, what you hold your values up against is the same as it was then, you will not be abiding by your values. You will not be abiding by your values. Okay, so there's some catchphrases that are garbage, all right? Um, some catchphrases that are garbage is would be, uh, you can control your feelings. Guess who controls their feelings? Addicts control their feelings. Sociopaths just ignore whatever feeling they might have access to. Narcissist, not great with feelings of others, right? So no empathy. Bad things happen to people who try to control their feelings. Depression, anxiety, addiction. Behaviors that um, are really destructive to self and others. Controlling other people. If you want to control your feelings and it affects other people, you're trying to control other people. Feelings are not meant to be controlled. They are meant to be felt. Now, what you do with those feelings is actually the thing that you determine by your values, right? So the values are core to how you control your feelings because you don't deny that you're scared. You just look at the fact that you're scared and then you say, what am I going to do with this? You don't deny that you're angry. You just look at your anger and you say, what am I going to do with this? And it's confusing, right? Because there's so much noise. What, what are you supposed to do with it? People who shove it down, who won't feel it, who think that they're choosing love when really they're just shutting themselves up, right? They're just saying, shut up. I'm not going to listen to you. 
bad things happen. Relationships are destroyed, addiction, uh, they drink too much. They, there are all kinds of ways to control your feelings. And I'll tell you, I've had experience with this. I was a smoker, um, for a long time and I was a committed smoker. I mean, we're talking 20 years here, uh, maybe more, probably more. I mean, I, yes, more, definitely more. Um, and smoking is a repetitive compulsive act that is an addiction and it is an attempt to control your feelings, right? So I, um, I had this, uh, in 2000, I don't know. I was, I didn't smoke when I was pregnant, but man, the second I had those babies, I started smoking. Um, and I wanted to stop, but I just, I still wanted to control my feelings, right? I wanted to deny them. I didn't want to feel what I felt. There were things coming up in me that I did not know how to handle, right? I didn't know what to do with them. Um, so I took this medication called Chantix. Uh, if you're trying to quit smoking, I do recommend it. And I ran this, uh, online chat group, um, that just kind of organically happened on a blog that I wrote about taking Chantix and thousands of people were going through this process with me trying to quit smoking while taking Chantix and people were having this extreme emotional reaction and they were blaming this medication Chantix for the, uh, anger and fear and anxiety and sadness and trauma that was coming up. But what I realized was a couple things. One is that when you stop behaviors that are meant to control your feelings, all the feelings you shoved down and refused to look at, refused to feel, refused to do anything about it will come back up. They're going to come back up. They're, they have to leave your body. They have to leave your being. They have to leave your mind. They have to leave your heart. They have to leave your soul. The only way for them to do that is to come up and feel them. Right. Which is why you then go, fuck this. I'm going back to smoking. Uh, after nine 11, I can't even describe, I witnessed 9-11. I was eight months pregnant. I was, I witnessed the second plane hitting the second tower. I lived in New York city at the time. I had a baby three weeks later. Oh, y'all, I can't describe to you, um, the level of anxiety that I experienced after that. Oh, kind of makes me choke up to even think about how much pain and anxiety I was in. And so I tried to get help. I went to the doctor and they gave me Xanax. That was their solution. Here, take this Xanax, take this Xanax, take this Xanax. And I would go back and I would say, this isn't working, right? So the way it was, was, um, we have a fight or flight response in our bodies, right? And that is meant to protect us. It's meant it's meant for us to get ourselves away from fear, right? Fight or flight. Now we've added or paralysis, right? And I happen to suffer from the paralysis part. But essentially, like this alarm goes off in your body and your nervous system goes into this uh, extreme panic. And the result of the trauma that I that I witnessed, that I went through, was that my 
switch got turned on and I couldn't figure out how to turn it off. And we didn't have plant medicines or um, access to other ways to deal with trauma and anxiety and depression that we have now. Again, that goes back to Big Pharma had a reason to stop research that was happening when Vietnam vets came home and were struggling with the results of trauma. We shut that down. War on drugs. Just say no. Let's outlaw a whole bunch of medications that we're doing research on that could actually benefit people and let's stick them on the SSRI for their entire life, right? We did not have what we had now. And so I would go to the doctor and I would say, this is not working. I am in such an incredible amount of panic that I can't, like my whole body was just vibrating with it. The only time I had any peace was when I was taking Xanax or when I was asleep. So they kept upping the dose and upping the dose and upping the dose. So I became dependent on Xanax and I had to go to the hospital to get off Xanax for 18 days because they said I was going to have seizures and could possibly die uh, from coming off Xanax. Well, when I came off the Xanax under medical supervision, all of the fear that I had shoved down into myself came back up. And the only thing you can do when that happens is to just hang on to your seat, just hang on to your ass, get a grip and feel the feelings and go through it. That's the only way. And that sucks. It sucks so hard. Oh my gosh, it sucks. I mean, right now, If you're going to look at your fear, it sucks. And the idea there is to not control it. In the 12 step program with addiction, with any kind of recovery movement, uh, there's a prayer and that's what this is about. There's a prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay. So we get tripped up in the wisdom to know the difference. Okay. So when we're looking at our core values, remember this, you cannot change other people. You cannot control other people. You cannot control their choices. You cannot control uh, how they treat you. You cannot control how they cope, how they don't cope, what they do, what they think, what they feel. You cannot control other people. You can control your reaction to that. You can control how you care for them. And caring for them does not mean you stay in an abusive, crappy situation. Caring for them means that you treat them with respect and understanding. But if it is harming to you, you also care for yourself and remove yourself from the situation. Right? So I like the words caring and I like the word kindness. 
um, we are often very unkind to ourselves in caring for others. Certainly, this is one of my issues. You must be caring and kind to yourself. And if you feel unworthy of it, here's a question. Here's a value. Here's something that can bring you to center and get a perspective on the line. Okay. Does everyone on the planet deserve kindness? Yes. Everyone on the planet deserves kindness. Then does it follow that you yourself deserve kindness? Yes, it follows that you yourself deserve kindness. So if you're struggling with how you should be treating others, what you should want for yourself and what you should want for others and how to control your feelings or how to control your behavior, you deserve kindness. Do others deserve kindness? Control is not kindness. Judgment is not kindness. Manipulation is not kindness. Emotional blackmail is not kindness. Nice is not kindness. Silence, when things are going down that are not cool, is not kindness. Pretending you don't have information that you have access to. Not kindness. Do not control your feelings. Surrender your control, right? We all have a need to control. There are functional, healthy things that you can do with these feelings that will then have a positive result on your life. Okay, so you cannot control your your feelings, but you can choose what you do with those. Okay, so feelings need to leave your body somehow. Here's some things that I have found. Um, oh, and I do have to mention that those years after Xanax and those years after smoking, right? When all of those feelings come up, this is pretty much when you learn these skills, right? The idea is just to just don't give in to the temptation. Or if you do quickly forgive yourself, right? Forgiveness is not permission. It is not uh, acceptance of crappy behavior. It is kindness, right? It is kindness. Abuse is judgment, control, criticism, manipulation, you have feelings coming up. Anger is probably going to be one of them. So what are you going to do about that anger? Okay. What are you going to do about that anger? Where is it safe for you to let that leave your body? Screaming at other people? Nope. Hitting people? Nope. Kickboxing? Fuck yes. Okay. That's what I learned to do with my anger. Kickboxing. And Anger is just anger. It does not matter if you're justified in your anger. It's anger. It's just the truth about how you feel. It is not the truth about how you will feel forever. There are plenty of really good and righteous reasons to be angry. But your anger does not have to be justified. Feelings 
don't have to be justified. They only have to be accepted and leave your body, right? So if you're angry, kickboxing. Running, people run. Tapping is one that I have really benefited from. So emotional freedom technique or tapping. This is basically like there are acupuncture points in your body, acupressure points. There are places where we store anger. And when you tap on those, you give it a release. Okay. So there are people that I go to for this kind of thing. Um, my friend Daryl Stewart has provided me so much relief in anxiety and anger uh, and frustration because he can, he, he has this way of like getting really in there to exactly what that anger is, making it okay to feel it and then relieving that pressure, giving it a way to leave my body through um, tapping that I have found extremely beneficial, right? Feelings need to leave your body. They do not need to be told to shut up. Kickboxing, tapping, emotional freedom technique. You can find these online. Um, Daryl Stewart has a YouTube channel where he has a whole bunch of videos that you can watch and you can tap. He also sees people privately. Um, I have done this over Skype, over the phone. Um, there are a lot of resources where you can do this. Um, what do you do with anxiety, right? Anxiety is interesting because it's often fear of the future or um, an inability to make a choice uh, can produce anxiety or just fear about the reality that we're going through right now. There's a lot of unknowns and a lot of bad things can happen in unknowns. A lot of good things can happen in unknowns. And our desire to control that is, it's valid. It's credible. It's legitimate. There are legitimate reasons to be afraid right now of all sorts of things, of your money, of your family, of your uh, people that you're caring for, of your own health. There are many things that are you can legitimately be afraid of right now. And... There are also ways that you can not control them, not control your anger, not control your feelings, not shut yourself up, not shut other people up, but that will bring you more peace, okay? That will soothe and calm your soul. There are ways that you can get energy healing online, distance energy healing. There are therapists that you can get online now. And I have really benefited from some YouTube channels that I have found over the last few years. Um, I have uh, found um, ASMR. ASMR is a brain response that some people have. I don't know how many people have it, but I definitely have it. Uh, and it is a way to provide yourself kindness because essentially you're watching other people receive and give kindness. And it's something that happens in your brain and they don't really know exactly what that is. If it's attached to, um, uh, being, um, nurtured, 
and cared for and kindness and touch and feel good, right? It will relax your brain in a way that I have not experienced from other things on a, um, on a basis that you can count on. Okay. So, uh, if you're going to seek peace from monkey mind, which is what the yogis call, uh, that crap in your mind, that's just, and your brain can get tripped up on things. It can cycle through that anxiety, that anxiety, that anxiety, right? Uh, control your thoughts. You'll manifest what you think. That is like, that is such a surface level of how this works. And it's not dependable. You want something that you can rep, replicate over and over and over so that you can go back as a touchstone and say, I'm feeling anxious. What can I do? I'm feeling anxious. What can I do? What can I do that surrenders this anxiety? How can I give myself peace? How can I calm myself? Okay. ASMR. I love, uh, the ones where, um, like you can, you can literally get energy work ASMR style and it's surprisingly effective. Okay. It's, I mean, I have been shocked at how effective it is watching someone else get a head massage produces these really good endorphins and tingly feelings through my whole body. When I am watching ASMR, I get to a state of non-thought that I guess I've achieved in meditation, but it's a struggle to get there. Because I've got these thoughts, I've got these anxieties, right? And to silence those is easier for some than others. But when I watch ASMR, I reach a period of non-thought. My brain just kind of rests. It gets to a rest state. I don't know about you, but I have woken up from 18 hours of sleep and felt exhausted. And there are lots of things for that. But one of those things is that my brain isn't shutting off when I'm sleeping, that I'm not reaching a state of rest. And I'm often doing spiritual work in my sleep. So I might be praying or I might be um, what they call traveling, right? So being on a spiritual plane and processing information that can be exhausting. But when I watch ASMR, my brain reaches a state of rest, now in the afternoons, uh, when there's a reset period, I have never been good at the 20 minute nap. It just, I either need an hour and 20 minutes or the 20 minutes. I just lay there with anxiety that the 20 minutes is going to be over. And then I have to wake up and I waste the whole 20. It's just not a pleasant experience for me, but watching ASMR for 20, 30 minutes, that actually refreshes my brain. Okay. So you're a mammal. Mammals have physical responses to trauma. They have physical responses to, um, anxiety, threat. Okay. So if your brain gets a few minutes of rest, that's a win. That's a win. Movement releases all of that feeling from your body. Okay. So exercise yoga is incredible because, okay. So if you go to the gym a lot, but you haven't tried yoga and you're like, well, how am I going to get my weight training in and my aerobics in and get strength training? 
yoga. All right, yoga is one of the first things I found that quieted my anxiety. And here's the thing. If you are thinking thoughts outside of yoga, you will fall down. Is yoga is very hard, actually. It's very hard. It is very strength training. It takes a lot of focus and balance. So if your monkey mind is going, 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 you'll fall down. <laughs> like it's hard. And it's one of those things where you don't, you don't get quote unquote good at yoga, right? Take the modification. Don't injure yourself. It's a way to shut your mind off while allowing your body to release feelings. You release feelings. Again, any rest that your brain can get is a good thing. Any movement that you can use to release feelings instead of shoving them down with a cigarette, like a cigarette is, I'm not going to feel this. Uh, food is, I'm not going to feel this. I need to calm myself, right? So you feel temporarily calm, but you have not eliminated or released that feeling. You have not surrendered to it. Movement, however, allows it to leave your body. It also produces chemicals that just shoot oxytocin and endorphins into your brain, right? Into your body, into your brain. So you're releasing the bad feelings. You're getting a surge of good feelings. Now, I used to believe that I did not like exercise. Then I read a study. And this is an example of the more information you get, the better choice you can make. If you rely on old information, you're not making a good choice. So I read this study that said your children will, will imitate, uh, or they will, they will, children learn from action. Okay. And if you're shoving your feelings down, they're going to learn to shove their feelings down. If you can show them that it's okay to feel something and here's what you do with that, they're going to have a much better life because they'll be less likely for escape mechanisms like, uh, addiction. Okay. So I read this study that said, um, if you're a mother, your daughter will repeat your health habits. And if you're a father, your son will repeat your health habits. And I, at the time was overweight, uh, drinking, smoking, eating, not dealing with my feelings because I had gone through this incredible trauma, right? I've had some instances in my life that have been extreme in their trauma. And I did not know what to do with them. I did not know what to do with them. And that's okay, right? That's part of the surrender and the acceptance. But I learned what to do with them uh, the hard way. And I decided that, well, this is not good. So I'm going to start exercising. And I had never had an exercise practice as a young woman, aside from going out dancing, because I didn't need to, I was thin and I looked good and you know, whatever. And I would take something like fitness for life. And they were all about the running. I do not fucking love running. I hate it. It just jars everything about your body. And I do not reach any kind of endorphin high. And also I was a smoker. So all it did was just make me hack up fluids from my lung. It was just a terrible experience. So if that's presented to you as the only exercise you can do, yeah, fuck that, right? You're not going to do it. So the trick is you find something that you love, right? I found yoga. I found kickboxing. These are fun. And also I committed, right? I did a self-tithe. And I highly recommend this, a self-tithe. I thought there are 24 hours in the day. I can tithe to myself one of those hours 
for exercise, for taking care of myself, for meditation, exercise, that kind of thing, right? Massage, touch, whatever kindness that I could give myself. So, and I just, I insisted that I do it. I would just think I can, I can give myself one hour a day, right? So if I'm going to live in this body for 90 years, it's going to take an hour a day for me to do that without like serious problems. So I just did it. And it took me three years to love it. Three years to love it. And what my kids believe about me is that I love to go to the gym. And they believed that about me before it was true. See, there's a, there's a bit of stubbornness in getting yourself through addiction, through anxiety, through depression. There's a bit of insistence that you're going to figure out a way that works for you to achieve what you need to achieve without trying to control your feelings or deny them or shut them down or do terrible things to yourself or terrible things to other people, right? These are practices, which means there's, there's no, there's no place where you will have achieved all of it. The only goal is that you do something, right? That you insist that you're going to do something. That's where will comes in, where you're like, you know what? I'm going to make myself love it. If five minutes is all I can do, five minutes is all I can do. And there have been periods in my life after surgery or um, after certain traumatic experiences that five minutes of yoga is all I could do. And I'm going to tell you where you can find that. Okay. YouTube has so many yoga practices and you can choose them based on time. You can choose them based on level of hardness or easiness. You can choose them based on style. You can choose them based on your uh, preferred yoga instructor. I'm always someone who has benefited from going somewhere, right? Going to the gym. I thought that I would hate to take group classes, but what I discovered was they start at a certain time. And so you can arrange your schedule around them and, uh, you can just, you know, get up, get ready and go to this class. So I've been going to the same kickboxing class for nine years and now I can't go to the gym. So you're going to have to figure out a way to do it at home. And YouTube is amazing here. YouTube is phenomenal for yoga practice. You still need to get it on a schedule. If I don't do yoga first thing in the morning after my coffee, it's not going to happen all day. I'll have good intentions. I'll think about it. I'll talk about it, but it won't actually happen unless it's first thing in the day. Now, my favorite yoga instructor on YouTube is Yoga with Adrian, And she's just this cute, bright, happy, fun chick and she has five minute yogas. She has uh, 45 minute yogas. She has an hour yoga. You can choose what you feel like that day. And there are dozens to choose from. Every year she does a, a 30 day yoga at the beginning of the year. And I've gone through those sequences uh, at various times in the year. And they're, you know, 20 to 40 minutes. And if that's where you need to start, that's where you need to start. There's no shame in that. The idea is that you're doing something. 
you're being kind to yourself, right? These are acts of kindness for yourself and others. Because if you're dealing with your anxiety, you're dealing with your anger, you're dealing with your thoughts, if you're dealing with these things in a happy, not happy, if you're dealing with these things in a healthy, helpful way, everyone around you is going to benefit. Everyone around you is going to benefit. So if you have all of these feelings come up, movement, tapping, energy work, ASMR, and journaling. Okay. Journaling is fantastic. Journaling is just where you get to lay out the truth. I am an avid journaler. I've been doing it since I was a child. Um, I cannot tell you how beneficial this is for me. I don't necessarily do it every single day. I do it when I have something in me that needs to go somewhere. Okay. So anything you write out will be something you're going to be more likely to remember. So if I learn something about myself or my motivations, I want to write that down because now I've given it a place to go to make it more concrete. And whenever I have feelings that come up that just need to come out of myself, whether they're angry, whether they're rational, whether they're frustrated, whether they're anxiety driven, whatever that feeling is, joy, I don't care what the feeling is. It needs to come out of you. And in a journal is a lovely way to do it. These are not for publication. They're not for the eyes of others. They're not to shame yourself. They're just things you feel. And instead of denying them, you write them. This is, this is experiencing your feelings and telling the truth about them, surrendering to the fact of them, right? They say feelings aren't facts in the sense that just because you feel someone has slighted you did not mean that they were doing that to harm you, right? But feelings are facts in the sense that you are feeling them, right? It is true that you're having this feeling. It is true that you're having this feeling of anxiety. And how do you know what it is? Just write it out. It will come out of you, right? You can reach a state of flow when doing art, when doing uh, journaling, when doing writing, when doing exercise, right? So when you reach this state where you're willing to look at the truth of yourself, the truth of your feelings, you, you give it a place to go, right? So if you're going through quitting smoking, if you're going through addiction, if you're going through anxiety about our current situation, it is important to give yourself the space to allow that to be true. Now, some of this writing and some of this thinking and some of this feeling is going to come from your ego and some of it's going to come from your soul. Now, your soul is what I call the higher core self of you, right? It's a deeper knowing. It's not your personality. It's not your human incarnation. It is the piece of you that is God or the piece of you that is in contact with God or universe or spirit, whatever language you use around that. That is telling the truth. Your soul is telling you the truth the core truth, the essence of truth. And your soul will always be kind to you. Your soul says loving things to you. Your soul adores you. Your soul does not judge you. It does not criticize you. It does not shame you. 
if you're writing those words down, you know that that is your soul. Loving words, kind words, gentle words, sweet words, encouraging words. That is your soul. And that is what is most true about you as a being. There is another voice that you will notice when you're writing, when you're feeling anxiety. And this voice is what I call your ego. Now your ego are all the outside voices and all of the critical voices in your head. Okay. So it's your parents. It's your religion. It's your religion of youth. It is do your politics. It is Fox news. It is Oprah. It is your neighbor. It is your husband. It is your your spouse. It is your kids. It is everything that is not your core self is your ego. That's how I define it. Okay. That's how I define it in uh, my life coaching and my writing in my uh, personal practice. Okay. Outside voices are your ego. They do not tell you the truth. They can give you clues to the truth and they can mirror back to you the truth and they can give you information, but only your soul and God tell you the truth. And the trick to all of this is to be able to differentiate the two, right? So you're accepting the things you cannot change. You're changing the things that you can, and there's the wisdom to know the difference. When you are journaling, it is important to allow both voices to come out freely. You're not thinking of things to say. You're not following a formula. You're writing down what's inside of you so that it can come out. You are not judging it. You are not looking at it. You are just allowing it to happen for you. If it is your ego coming out, great. That's good information, right? You can look at that and you can say, does this line up with my values? Is this kind to myself or others? Do I want this for myself? It's information. Now, journaling is not meant for anyone else's eyes. And that's really important because this allows you to tell the truth about your feelings. It doesn't have to be a fact. Like you can believe things that are not true. That happens all the time. We believe things that are not true. Most things that we believe are not truths. Because messaging to us, about us, about the world has been so distorted by so many sources that most of what we believe is not true. Your soul knows what's true. Your ego knows what it is just blathering on about. Okay? Journaling allows both. I have this exercise that I do with people that I do with myself and it's called soul versus ego smackdown. And it helps you figure out which voice is your soul and which voice is your ego. Neither are told to shut up. Okay. You do not silence your ego. When you silence your ego, you end up doing terrible things to yourself and terrible things to others. You do not silence your ego. You give it the space to think, to feel, to express itself. You give your soul that space as well. So in this practice, we go into a meditation, inviting only your soul and God to speak. Okay. Now, when I use the word God, I am not talking about an institution that claims to have direct access to God that you need to listen to. 
That is an institution. It is not God. God is a separate thing that you personally have access to. And your access needs to supersede all other things, all other outside sources. A religion is an outside source. Media, advertising, marketing, even Oprah, it's an outside source. Okay? Other gurus, it is an outside source. All of it is an outside source. When you declare dominion over your own being, your thoughts, your energy, your selfness, right? You declare that and you invite only your soul and God to speak. Only your soul and God to speak. And when you get into that meditative state and you allow whatever to come out to come out, miracles can happen. Truth can be revealed. Shifts in perception take place. Then you allow your ego to have its say about that, right? So if your soul is telling you, I want to be an artist, or I want to leave this marriage, or I need to quit drinking. I don't care what your soul is telling you. It can tell you the teeny tiniest little thing because teeny tiny little things add up and change your life. It can tell you the teeny tiniest little thing. And it can also tell you really big things that are scary. Okay. And your ego will come up and it'll say the tiny thing is irrelevant. And it'll say, oh, well, everybody in town is going to judge you. Or it'll say, you're just stupid and crazy, right? That's okay, right? You don't tell your ego to shut up. You let it have its say. And you let it have as much say as it needs to have. You then look at these two things, these two writings. And I like the writing because there's a visual evidence of these two parts of yourself. There's visual evidence. And what I have found over and over and over and over and over doing this with so many people and doing it with myself so many times is that a soul is kind always. It is caring. It uses gentle language. There is a difference in handwriting that is pretty fascinating. So if your soul has actually been given the opportunity to express itself, the handwriting is often curvy and lilting and pretty. And the ego's handwriting is hard pressed, scribbly, angry. It uses mean words. It uses judgment and criticism. It calls names a lot. Boy, it calls names a lot. And when you look at that often, you will see, oh, really mean things like really cruel things. The ego can be cruel. The soul is never cruel. God is never cruel. So when you're looking at that, you can see, okay, that's my ego. This is my soul. And then you get to choose. If you ask your soul for direction, it will be offered to you. You get to choose. You get to choose. You can choose your soul. You can choose your ego. That's what free will is. Okay. 
Free will is you get to choose. Now you can use this for any situation in your life. You can use this for, um, asking yourself what your true values are, how you're going to make decisions, what you're going to invest in, what you care about. You can choose this about patterns. You can choose this about relationships. I have this meditation on my website. And I also, if you scroll back, I wrote this book called Soul Versus Ego Smackdown. If you scroll back in this process or in this uh, podcast and go um, to the soul versus ego smackdown. I read aloud this book and the meditation is included in that. There is also a meditation on my website, tracysue.com. I also have this and a whole bunch of other tools to help you figure out how you're going to re-choose, what you want to re-choose, how you want to respond to the outside forces that are, they're shocking enough to disturb your peace, right? Let's not deny that. They're shocking enough to disturb your peace. So what are you going to do about that? What do you want to do with that? Okay. How can you say yes to your soul? and tell your ego to suck it. All right. So soul versus ego smackdown, how to say yes to your soul and tell your ego to suck it is a book that I wrote. You can get it on Amazon. You can read the whole thing in that is the meditation. You can listen to the whole thing on this podcast, scroll back and find it. You can go to my website and I walk you through that meditation and there's a little handout you can come to Patreon where I have a whole bunch of these kinds of tools. Let's review. There is language that is no longer useful because it denies our present circumstances or the words are now trigger words. They have been manipulated. They have been distorted. There are other agendas behind it. It is time to re-choose what we believe. It is time to re-choose our values. It is time to re-choose how we're going to live, how we're going to spend our days, who we're going to be in relationship with, how we're going to treat ourselves, how we're going to treat others, how we're going to distribute money, how we're going to distribute resources. What are our rights? What are not our rights? Okay. What I want for myself, I want for everyone. Love, not a useful word. What's behind that word? Is it control? Is it judgment? Is it criticism? Is it withholding of belonging? Is it punitive? Is it anger? Is it manipulation? Right? It's not a useful, is it a high? It's not a useful word. Because it means too many things to carry any meaning anymore. What are the other words that you really mean? Kindness, caring. Equal, right? Those are better words. 
compassion, joy. They're better words because they actually mean something real. They mean something because they're more specific and more specifically convey what you mean, right? Being intoxicated with someone is not being in love with someone. Loving someone while withholding belonging, loving someone with that while withholding, uh, validation. That is not loving someone. If a person feels assaulted by your love, that is a cue. That is a clue that you are using that word in an incorrect way that does not convey what you're actually doing. Love does not produce angst. It should not be painful. If it is painful, that's an indicator that it is control and judgment. What can we control? What should we control? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. To change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. You can never control other people and you shouldn't control your feelings. If you control your feelings, if you control other people, shit's going to go wrong. Things are going to get all fucked up. They're going to get weird. They're going to get, I mean, it's just bad things are going to happen. Do not tell your fear to shut up. Do not tell your anger to shut up. Do not tell your frustration to shut up. Just notice them and then ask yourself, what is this about? Write it out. No judgment, no criticism, no withholding. Just write it out. It doesn't have to be true to write it out. You want it to leave your body. Movement allows things to leave your body. Tapping allows things to leave your body. Energy work can allow things to leave your body. Massage can allow things to leave your body. There is a direct mind-body connection. If your body is having trouble, something's going on in yourself with your feelings, right? That may be manifesting physically, right? You're, you need to listen to your body. You need to listen to your feelings. You need to listen to your thoughts and observe them and just say, Oh, okay. That's good information. That's good information. And then you react with kindness to yourself. Does everyone deserve kindness? Yes. That includes you. Does everyone deserve kindness? That includes you. There are many, 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 many voices competing for your attention. Right now is a time when we should be informed, but the headlines are probably enough. Okay? The headlines are probably enough. If you are spending a day watching Fox News, you will never find peace. If you are spending 24 hours with the 24 news cycle, you will not find peace. What I am enjoying 
our podcasts that go deeper into issues. I am also, I read a lot of books. I read a lot of books about happiness. I read a lot of books about joy. There's a book called Joyful right now uh, that I'm reading. It's somewhat dry, but also really informative and it's giving my brain a chance to rest. Anytime you can get your brain to rest is a good thing. ASMR, yoga with Adrian, going outside, taking a walk, taking a bike ride, eating good foods, getting a ton of sleep. During a period like this, we sometimes shame ourselves because we're so tired, but your brain is processing. You're trying to process a lot of information, a lot of feelings. There's a lot of dots to connect. So sleep, 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 sleep. It's so beneficial for you. I mean, sleep has gotten a bad rap. (laughs) Like sleep, sleep a lot. Let your body sleep because your brain is so tired. It's taking in so much information right now. Your feelings are like thing you're having to process feelings and thoughts and information so quickly that without checking out, without going into denial, without telling yourself to shut up, you want to give your brain rest. You want to let feelings move and leave your body. You want to give people grace. Now, grace is another word that I don't particularly love. Um, I prefer acceptance, kindness, caring, allowing it to just be, I don't love grace because it's, it's just used weirdly in religion to where it doesn't carry enough meaning to have meaning. Um, like I remember when I was, I was, uh, trying to work my way through, um, coming out of Xanax, people kept saying grace, grace, grace. Oh, shut. Like, what does that even mean? Right. If you can't figure out what a word means, go looking for another word. Or if you find yourself repeating a word, look that word up and look for synonyms. Just listen to your thoughts. You don't have to tell yourself to shut up and you don't have to call yourself names and you don't have to shame yourself for having thoughts that you feel are wrong. All you have to do is address that stuff appropriately which means being kind to yourself and being kind to others. And if you choose some core things on which you are going to build your life around, and this doesn't happen overnight, none of this happens overnight. Day by day, you choose an activity that brings you more peace, but some days are going to be better than others. Sometimes it's going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes a feeling's going to come up and you have to process it and you don't know what to do with it. Great. That's why you want to refer to these types of activities. They're just information. You just want to surrender to the idea that this is just information. That's all it is. What do I, what do I need to do with this? What do I need to do with this? That's a kindness to myself. What do I need to do with this? That's a kindness to others. Can I control this? 
Like, it's an interesting question because as Americans, we have somewhat control, but not direct control. So, you know, we have this system that's got kind of wonky um, ways that we do elections. They're different in every town. Uh, we have these ways that we determine how things are run, but they're being manipulated by higher forces, right? So there's a delicate balance between what you can control and what you cannot control. People say you can control your thoughts. You can control your feelings. Don't do it. That's how addicts become addicts. You can control your actions. You can control your behaviors. You can control what you do with those feelings. You can control your awareness of how you impact others. You can adjust your behavior based on other people's flaws. That's kind of what I think of as grace now, right? Other people are allowed to be scared. They're allowed to be wrong. They're allowed to do things in ways that you don't like. You're allowed to set boundaries with that as a kindness to yourself. Now, there are those of us who want to throw ourselves out there and help everyone. Don't. If you burn out, it's not, I need an extra nap. Burnout is for reals. Burnout takes years to recover from. Burnout is a problem, like a pretty significant problem. So don't, you need to put your own mask on. You're not going to be helpful to other people. If you're not eating right, if you're not getting exercise, if you're not getting peace in yourself, healthcare workers are going to be thrown into this. Self care is care for everyone. Self kindness is kindness to everyone. That's not selfishness. Okay. There's a phrase called otherish. I like this. I read it in a it, it I read it in a book. Um I think it, I think the book was called Give and Take and it talks about otherish, which is not selfishness and it's not uh self-sacrifice. It's otherish. It is I help others, but not as a, not at a cost to myself necessarily. If you're helping others at a cost to your health, you'll have no stamina. You won't be able to maintain it, right? Marathoners do not go full force at the beginning of the race. They know they have to moderate their workout. They know they have to, they have to conserve their energy. You need to conserve your energy and make sure that you're taking care of yourself first. Because if you don't, you're going to run out. You're going to exhaust yourself. As someone who has burned out, <laughs> you don't want to do that. Like it's, it's not a joke. Your body will respond with a compromised immune system. Stress is killing people. We are killing ourselves with stress. That's one of the cues. That's one of the things we know about we're doing this wrong. 
right? We're doing this wrong. Because if you're killing yourself just to survive, we're doing this wrong. If stress is so extreme that your body is having a uh, revolt, you're doing it wrong. As a, as a culture, as a society in America, we can look at the number of illnesses caused by stress and know we're doing this wrong. What we're doing isn't working. It's time to do something else. And I've given you a whole bunch of ways that you can try something different. Try something different than what you've been doing. And we're going to be forced to do that. So it's just a matter of which thing you can try that provides you the most peace and the most benefit. Stay well. Take care of yourselves. I will talk to you soon. And thank you so much for clicking and listening.